The following is an original audio series from Sierra International Machinery, Pile of Scrap, with your host, John Sacco. Welcome to a new episode of Pile of Scrap. I'm here with Jeremy Spencer of Atlanta Packaging. Jeremy, thanks for joining me. You bet. Thanks for having me on. Dude, this is the first podcast since COVID-19 that I'm in. I'm with a human. Yes. I'm not doing it over Zoom. Exactly. God, I hate Zoom. (laughs) You know, I mean, yeah, it has its advantages, okay? I get it. And it's, you know, for Sierra, with our salespeople, we've had plenty of Zoom meetings. Sure. But I have hated podcasting because I I don't feel the, the human interaction to me creates a far better dynamic. It's difficult to get that connection over Zoom. You know, somebody's got their funny background in the back and, you know, you don't quite get all the facial expressions and, and see somebody. And, and then and you see a lot of this and when you got a bunch of group people are looking at their well, cell phones. There's, a, there's an art to that, you know, it's the whole... Mm, yeah, you know. no, you're going to get busted. Or somebody <laughs> who's just like this. You know, we had a Zoom meeting, I have to tell you, it's funny, my nephew took pictures of different people on the Zoom meeting, you know, because we have a bunch of salespeople, and he'd send me a text after, goes, look at this guy, look at, you know, this person looks like their dog just got kicked, so, it is just so refreshing to be in person, live with somebody, we're here in Moscow, Idaho, where you live, yep, this place is beautiful, especially this time of year, oh my god, the wheat fields, you know, I, I arrived today, I got off the plane, and there's this gorgeous green field, I'm like, what is it, so I had to get up, walk across the street, Wheat field. Wheat. You awesome. found yourself right there. Yeah. Right by the airport. Because that, that airport is surrounded by wheat fields. I still like gluten. Yep. Absolutely. Although, I've lost 24 pounds during COVID-19. Nice. Because I don't... I've dropped the carbs. No bread. I used to have bread with my butter every morning at breakfast, but I've had to... No carbs. I, that's how you've done it? That's, yeah, well, hey, it's that's one, one the way. Th- there's you know? a lot of things, but you know, being Italian, pasta is a big thing, but I've had to cut that down. <sighs> But I, I got a note for you on that. Remind me later after we're done. There's a pasta that you need to check out. All right. Okay. Well, okay. So Pile of Scrap is what we call the Recyclers Podcast. And, and I've had a lot of different people on, but I think this is the most unique one so far we're going to do because you're in the packaging industry. Yep. So people are, what the hell does Jeremy have to do with recycling? I say you have a lot to do because food packaging and the products you use and the recyclable content in food packaging, et cetera, is a fantastic discussion. It's a fantastic discussion, and it's a hot, it's a hot button issue right now all over the world in terms of companies trying to figure out how do we how do we increase our sustainability, how do we increase our recycling, how do we get consumers to participate in that without necessarily or negatively affecting the quality and the content of their products. Absolutely. So let, let's let's this is the easy softballs to start this thing as okay. And I think a lot of our listeners don't really know this. When you package and you're in the back, you know, you go to Costco or whatever store and you see meat, a little tray, plastic film over it. Sure. Why can it not be used out of recycled plastic? Because there's there's obviously a lot of things that can be recycled and there's a lot of things that can't be recycled. And the two things that primarily cannot be recycled are polystyrene and polyvinyl chloride. And the the overwrap, a lot of the overwrap that is used in fresh meat packaging is PVC based. It yeah. is used to be saran, now it's PVC, and then polystyrene. 
And so, of course, there's a lot of efforts to try to figure out how do we make those things why are they recyclable. Uh, because why, why, what's the advantage of the, the, the poly... I forget the name. It's, it's oxygen transmission rate. It's freshness of the meat. It's, it's you've got a lot of liquid in there trying to make sure that that liquid doesn't leach out, especially when you put it in your car and you're taking it home. So it's, it's about functional use. And historically, those items have been the best way to preserve and protect meat from the time that you get it at the grocery store until you are going to use it. But okay, those so can't be recycled because of the contents of them, the chemical contents. Okay, but you can't use, you have to use virgin plastics to, to, for that packaging. You can't use recycled because of the, the potential contamination? Absolutely, what, because what it's, that? it, that's an, it's an oversimplification, but it's simply the fear factor, right? In terms of where did that plastic come from? How was that plastic process to ensure sterility of that? And, and no bloodborne pathogens. Exactly. Be that you know, that's one of the reasons at Sierra we stopped taking aluminum cans, PET bottles, because people had syringes in there. In there. And if you had an employee, you know, get stuck by one of those needles, oh, really? The liability. It's it's a huge liability, but it's it's a real safety issue. Sure. You know, health and safety issue. Yes. So. We eliminated that from Sierra because it just, it, it, it didn't, it wasn't enough. But so, virgin plastics. Virgin plastics. Eliminates the, blood porn, the, 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 yep. the, the possibility of contamination. Yeah, there's a chain of command. There's a chain of custody in that production of that process. There's statements rather than inducing another variable into that process. So, okay, and these plastics that are, what are all these different names? You, you know, from the PP, polypropylene to polyethylene to all the different ones, which I, I'm not an expert at, but you, you know it. Let's talk about, you hear about, well, there's biodegradable plastics. Sure. Is that a myth? Is that a challenge? What is it? Well, that's the, that's the challenge. Is the, the big question is how do we increase recycling rates? How do we get people to recycle more? And if they're not going to, if they're going to throw it away anyway, how do we cr change the structure of plastic to make it more sustainable, more recyclable? And so biodegradable plastics is one of the, the ways that there's a lot of research about it right now, a lot of efforts being made to try to make something biodegradable, but it's a huge challenge. Because so that plastic we call biodegradable, it's going to turn into soil? It's not, not ever going to turn into soil. It, it, so how do we call that? What, okay, if it's not going to be soil, how is it biodegradable? How do they get away with saying plastic's biodegradable, but it's never going to be anything but plastic? There are, there are plastics that have been designed so that microbes in the soil can break that plastic down and so that it disintegrates to a micro level. Okay. However, the challenge with that is what is labeled biodegradable, does it actually biodegrade? And, and a lot of it does not. A lot of it does not in any sort of efficient time frame, right? Mm -hmm. The standard, the European standard, is that if something is labeled biodegradable, that it breaks down into smaller pieces, and I've got a comment about that in a minute, okay. but it breaks down into smaller pieces so that no more than 10% of it is left after 12 months. That's okay. the standard. But the reality is, is that when somebody takes that biodegradable plastic and says, well, this is just going to break down, first of all, they just litter it, right? It's not necessarily ending up where it's supposed to go. That's number one, because they think, well, it biodegrades, so, it creates so I can more just litter. toss it. You're saying that exactly. it, so, so the consumer in America, are we talking about the Americans or are we talking worldwide? 
I'm using general consumer. Okay. But generalized consumer, one that's not educated, one that's not uh, discerning enough and not uh, motivated to to recycle, says biodegradable. They think, well, it doesn't matter where I throw this. So then they throw it somewhere. Okay. Well, if that somewhere is not a landfill that is chemically uh, created to break down that plastic, let's set aside the word break down for a moment, then, then it's going to not biodegrade in the way that it should. And even if it does, a lot of those plastics simply are going from one bigger piece of plastic to many, 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 many pieces of plastic, which then how do you, how do you then clean that up? Right. Okay. Well, let me ask you this. Okay. You know, Plastics in the ocean, you know, just a bit of major problem, right? Sure. Okay. That's a huge problem. And, you know, they see dead seagulls on these remote islands in the Pacific and they cut them open and they're just full of plastic. Yes. Big pieces of plastic. Yep. Um, Biodegradable. Is there a fallacy saying, oh, minute pieces of plastic in a microbial way is better than big chunks of plastic? I think there is a fallacy in that for sure. Because the, the question is, first of all, there's no guarantee that in certain seawater with certain pH that it's actually going to do that. And I'm not an expert in that, but I've read that's one of the big challenges with plastic in seawater in terms of breaking that down. But how do we know that that plastic that breaks down into smaller parts is necessarily a good thing, right? Or less damaging as as the perception of calling it biodegradable. Exactly. That's exactly right. And it doesn't even and a lot of it doesn't even break down. You're labeling something biodegradable, but it has to go into the right spot in order for it to be biodegradable. It's not just a, we've made this now biodegradable so we can toss it anywhere. That's, that's not the reality of it. And to your point, whether it's in PET bottles, you know, water bottles that right. like, like this one here, Nestle. exactly. The thickness of that stuff impacts its biodegradability. So, you know, back to the seagull getting the plastic, you know, torn out of its stomach. If it's big enough, it, it's simply not in a category of, of plastics that you would feel comfortable calling biodegradable because it's just simply it's just not. Too it, it, but it's not going to biodegrade. It's, right. it's simply not going to happen. Okay, so in all the food packaging, you know, I, we started with meat. I mean, food packaging is just a huge, huge, huge dynamic for, you know, in the use of plastics. Yeah, too, many, too many categories to cover so specifically. So your company supplies a lot of food packaging to major companies. Sure. Ma can you name some of those companies? Sure. Would you be I mean, yeah, absolutely. Go we ahead. can I mean major CPG companies, you know, Tyson. CPG stands for Consumer Producer Goods. Okay. Yes. Name some companies yeah, that absolutely. you Absolutely. So Coca-Cola, uh, ConAgra Foods, Smithfield Foods, Butterball, you know, these are all the types of companies that we sell to. So you're not talking about, you know, small although, you know, small Food producers or, or smaller companies are, are great customers of ours, but, but the complexity of those large companies and what they demand and what they're looking to do with regard to sustainable plastics and recycling is, you know, complex. Okay, so, but it's not only just plastics because let's take Coca-Cola, for example. Yep. I did a podcast with Leonard Zide. Leonard is a big paper uh, broker and, and knows the paper industry extremely well. Okay. And we had this conversation in our podcast about, you know, you go to the store and you buy beer, you buy Coke, Pepsi, whatever. Sure. Okay, and, and it's in a cardboard box. Yep. Okay, recyclable, but it has a poly coated liner 
so it can withstand the humidity sure. of, uh, of the coolers. Yep. And then when you pick it up, it just doesn't fall apart. Okay. Okay, well, you've reduced the recycled content. Sure. The, the recyclability is there, but you're getting less fiber out of it. Because it's, because it's less and it's, and it's a, is that because it's mixed? Yes. Okay. Because it's a mix. So now take Coca-Cola. You, you, you said something, there's a thing called bundling film. Sure. That's a challenge. Sure. Talk sure. to us about what bundling film is and where it's gone, the transition. And because all these companies claim to want sustainable packaging. Sure. And, and good for the environment, not to go to the landfill and, and all this and all that. But there's these challenges. So, talk so, about the so the history of bundling film, in short, the Cliff's Notes, is that it's a corrugate replacement. So instead of your bottled water, and that's a that's a fantastic example because of the evolution of it, right? It used to be that bottled water would come in a corrugate box, and okay. you would buy the box, right? And then you would have the plastic water bottles. Correct. Well, now for cost, relative cost, and processing of those water bottles that corrugate box has first gets reduced to half the corrugate box called an HSC. And then that gets overwrapped with bundling film. So when you go buy your water bottle today, in you know, the your case, it's got that plastic and bundling film. it's a thick film. plastic. It's a thicker plastic. Now the next evolution is taking as much, taking that tray out of it. And now you just simply have that bundling film. Taking the cardboard out. Taking the cardboard altogether. So from full box, to half box, to pad in some cases right. underneath the bottles. And now the effort is to eliminate all of that. And so the entire thing, aside from the water, is just plastic, right? You got the plastic okay, lid, so, plastic so bottle, plastic overwrap. Cardboard has seven life cycles. You know, you can recycle it from virgin, going from virgin that's cut down from trees that are planted for the purpose of making pulp into cardboard. You can take cardboard seven times life cycle, okay? Yes. okay. And so now they, they, they reduce in it. But when it gets into the waste stream, okay, when it gets into the blue bin and it goes to the MRF for the separation, that becomes another challenge because the cost of separating that plastic from the plastic from the cardboard that's in it or that plastic is tremendous. The value of it, the commodity. Why, why is that? Well, it's a commodity. Well, because it, there's no weight. Okay. So you can pick it up, but you're picking up air. So, and you're having to store it in huge bins that cost a lot of money. Okay? These bins that store in these MRFs that, you know, that for the recycling. You, you need so what you're, saying, what you're saying is that in that evolution, taking out that plastic, reducing taking the amount the of plastic, taking out the cardboard, and having everything be plastic, now we've reduced the overall weight of that. Yes. And although that is less plastic in the ocean less right. plastic in the world it is it has a direct effect on the the economic well and this is this is the, yes this is the issue about plastic recycling in the MRFs some milk jugs have good value okay because okay. there's weight behind it okay. okay you know you pick up an old milk jug or uh, your Clorox or your you know Tide bottle you know colored HDP you know that stuff has value and, and you know a pet bottle there's more weight to this than there is to a lot of these plastic films. Less and less all the time. Well, thinner, yeah, and thinner, Nestle, thinner. actually, Nestle, this is, uh, you know, I was a chairman of the Institute of Scrap Recycling Industries, ISRI, and we gave them the Design for Recycling Award a couple of years ago because of how much recycled content or the recyclability of their, of their water uh, bottle that uh, they were able to do. So, it, it, you know, they're always more sustainability. But here we go again, back to the MRF. 
the cost of separation, the cost of storing, bailing, and all that exceeds the value of the commodity. Okay. So somebody's going to pick up the difference. The recycler, the, the people who are the big $20 million MRFs that separate the stuff, let's say it costs, I'm just going to use numbers. Let's say sure. it costs, well, MRFs, it costs between $100 and $130 a ton, five to six, seven cents a pound to, to process it. Okay. Well, that commodity may only be worth five, six cents a pound. So, so there's a difference there. So now you're at a negative value. So who's going to pick up that difference? Well, the consumer, right? I'm assuming. I mean, well, the, the consumer is going to have or to. Or the people, the community, who have to pay more for their garbage on their property tax. So there, there's this trade-off. So they, everybody wants it to be recyclable, but there's a cost to it. Sure. And I don't think the 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 public is ready to truly understand that you want it out of the landfill, and we all want to. You're going to have to pay. Sure. Then it becomes not an economic issue. It's not an incentivized issue. It's not even an educational issue. It's almost more of a, it's almost more of a, is, is that what you want to be a part of and do you want to pay for it type situation? Well, yeah, they, everybody wants to be part of it Oops. until you, quite frankly, have to start paying for it. Sure, exactly. Uh, I, don't, I don't want to have to pay for that. So the trade-off is now they buy an alternative product that's maybe not as sustainable, not as recyclable. Maybe, maybe and they don't throw it out. See, you know, uh, I interviewed in another podcast, Jason Young of the Allen Company. He has a big Murph, big blue bin recycling operation. Okay. okay. And it's really interesting uh, what he told me, um, and this will segue into something about packaging pre-COVID, post-COVID. Sure, sure. Okay. Uh, or during COVID. Um, you know, it's a social economic thing about the blue bin. In neighborhoods, low-income neighborhoods that have multifamily uh, dwellings, okay, uh, it costs money to have your garbage bin. They give you the blue bin for free, okay? Well, when you fill up the regular bin, you don't want to pay to get another bin dropped. Sure. So where do you put it? In put it in the blue bin, okay? Well, that, that, that's contamination rate. So pre-COVID, you had a contamination rate between 30, maybe 40%, okay, in the blue bin. Okay, once it goes, separates, and sure. all the contaminants will pull out. Yep. During COVID, that contamination rate because people had to stay home they don't go anywhere more they're garbage creating, they're more garbage because they're cooking at home they're staying at home you know when you go to restaurants you go to fast food they're disposing of your garbage correct but when you can't do that and you're staying at home where are you going to put that garbage that doesn't cost you and you don't have a job because you can't go to work it goes into the blue bin sure so now the contamination rate has skyrocketed from 30 40 percent 50 60 percent in some cases that's incredible so now the cost is increasing. Somebody's got to pay for that yep. because the value of the commodities, you know, don't you know, are, are less than the value or less of the cost of production. So sure. it's, it's it's really a fascinating dynamic. See, you know, recycling is a feel-good topic, but it but is also an economic issue that I think we need to put more effort into the educating the, the public on what it is. Well, and it relates to packaging and this whole idea of recycling because the, the, the culture that we live in here in the United States is a disposal culture. I mean, to your point. And so it's about, you know, whether something's, you know, biodegradable or not, back to that, you know, topic for a moment. It's about what does the consumer then do with that? Right. 
you know, do they feel good about putting it in the right spot? Well, by and large in this country, they don't. It doesn't matter whether it's biodegradable or it's about the economics of it. And the economics of it are, you know, typically going to be wise consumer choices about, about something that, you know, affects their pocketbook, whether that product that they choose is more sustainable or not, the relative cost of that. And then, and then what do they do with it? And typically they just don't think about it and they throw it away. That's right. And you know, it's funny, I was in, a couple summers ago, I was in uh, Europe and really it's a cultural thing. I was at this place and um, that you saw the tourist or the European tourist and they were finishing their lunch and they had all these different items to dispose of. Well, in America, it just goes, they don't care if you've got plastic, glass, this, that. They just, you see them all the time throwing it. But sure. they literally took the time to put the pro- product in the right, the plastic in the plastic, the glass in the glass, the, the waste, food waste in one. And they took their time to do it right. Sure. But here in this country, done. Now, you, we, we were talking before you know, we, we started this podcast on something I, I did not know. And the pre COVID, post COVID goals of companies. Sure. And you had something from Nestle that you were, you told me about. You well, want to share and, that? And yeah, and everybody, you know, this date out there is 2025, and it's a good intention, right? It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's the right thing to do. But, but this was, um, this was from, one of the announcements that Nestle made specifically and, and quoting it to get it right, that, that they want to make 100% of packaging recyclable by 2025. So that's the date. And it includes several things. One, none of its packaging ends up in the landfill, right? We're talking about this disposable culture, right? right? So, so they don't want any of it to end up in the landfill or as litter. And the way they're going to do that is eliminate non-recyclable plastics. So make everything that they buy, in other words, recyclable. Encourage the use of plastics that allow better recycling rates. And eliminate or change complex combinations of packaging materials. Right? So that's, that is part of their, that, that's their announcement in order to drive more sustainability. Which the education piece is directly what we were talking about. A company can can make every single effort they can to use non uh, to use recyclable packaging and to educate the consumer to label it properly. But then, what do they? What does the consumer do with that? Right. Right. Well, it's, it can't come. Yeah, it's out of the control. So your company, Atlanta Packaging. Okay, this is a pre-COVID goal of Nestle. Yes. Now you're having to design that plastic for packaging for them. Sure. And for the Cokes and for whoever you're selling to. Yes. And you've got a bunch of engineers and you've got chemists and all this working on this stuff, right? Yes, absolutely. And, and I think one of the things that's ignored, though, is that we, we often focus on the primary package, right? And, and we've talked a little bit about this before as it relates to, to bread packaging as a good example of this whole idea of the economy of choices people make okay. and what the amount of plastic that's used and healthy living choices, right? And we can get back to that in a moment. Okay. But but aside from all of the primary packaging, whether you're talking about corrugate or bundling film or your your bread packaging or your cereal boxes and the liners that go in there, some of the biggest low-hanging fruit is eliminating the amount of plastic that you use, right? So you have yeah. all this primary packaging, 
But then you also have all this indirect packaging, I'll call it. And so, you know, for your listeners that aren't aware of what that would be, that would be uh, the tape that goes on the boxes sure. that go to the grocery store. And when the grocery store stocker is restocking the shelf, he takes the product out of, he rips the tape open, you know, you got a corrugate box of some kind and then puts the product on the shelf and they see the primary packaging. Right. But in order for that product to get there, you're talking about tape, you're talking about the corrugate box, you're talking about the stretch wrap that goes around the pallet, you're talking about the, you know, the maybe the corner boards or the strap that's right. going in that. But oftentimes the engineers and the chemists at these major CPG companies that are looking at the sustainability or the impact or the design of the primary food packaging are not the same people that are looking at all of those indirect packaging material things. And the low-hanging fruit that's there from a recycling standpoint, you know, there's really two elements. One, our company goes in to, to try to help companies use what they're already using better. So, for example, we can go into a, a brewery, a beer brewery. Yeah, you told me. Tell, tell us and, about this. And there's one brewery in particular that we eliminated half a million dollars, not by changing the structural nature of what they were already using, but taking that stretch wrap that was palletizing the beer before it got shipped to a distributor or a grocery store, right. utilizing it more efficiently so they were using less. Well, the impact of that is not only financial, but you're talking about the it's amount of plastic. It's a 40% reduction in the amount of plastic that they were utilizing. Not by buying, they were buying less, but it was because they were utilizing it more efficiently. Not to mention the carbon footprint and all of the other necessary consequences that come from utilizing that fewer that amount of plastic. That has to be great though for you guys, for your company. If you're able to do that for one, that's gotta be huge for, it's just an enormous marketplace for you to go in there and show them how to use it. Well, it's a huge, it's a huge one, and it has, it has. I would argue, from my perspective, it has greater impact on the overall sustainability and the overall use of plastic by identifying those categories that are already being used, rather than necessarily re-engineering everything. It, it, you know, it 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 can provide a huge drop in the bucket towards some of those goals. Okay, let's talk about the stretch film that they're using real quick. Okay. The the, the type of plastic that is used, 100% recyclable right now? Where, where's the evolution of it going? What it is 100% recyclable. 100%. Yes, 100% recyclable. Absolutely. It's it's natural gas based. Is it made from virtu- uh, virgin product or is it made from recycled product? Both. It depends on the product itself. Okay, so, so the stretch film for this brewery you're talking about, that is made. Virgin plastic. Why virgin and why, why is it all virgin? Why does it have uh, some... Performance. Uh, performance. So Performance so, meaning its ability to keep that palate... Yes, exactly. So, well, so that's, if, another, that's another discussion I don't know if we have time for, but we'll touch on it right now. Sure, sure, sure. you said, because I argued... Why use plastic film when you can use cardboard uh, corner boards and maybe do some, uh, you said the transportation and the engineering and the testing that go, talk about because, that just for a second. Because from the recycling standpoint though, from your from where you stand, the corrugate is would be a fantastic and phenomenal recyclable. Easy recyclable. Easy recyclable. Weight wise okay. and the, all the paper mills that are able to use it. Exactly, what, what we have to factor in is, we have to factor in how it's being applied 
right? And the labor component of that, whether that's right or wrong, companies want to drive the, their labor costs down. So in, in terms of the transportation, one of the things that has to happen is that those products have to be able to flex. So when you take, let's, let's use Coke, for example, it's an easy example, a pallet full of Coke, you got the, the individual cell units stacked into a pallet on the pallet itself, right. then how do we make sure that that stays intact going Your from point A to point B? Well, the, the ability of that product to move and flex in the back of a truck or a train is, is a significant factor in its ability to stay intact. If you don't do that, now the, the, your cost goes up, going back to the economic impact, because the amount of damage okay. goes through the roof. And damage is far more costly than the amount of plastic. I'll bet you a lot of money, and there's not but a handful of people who would have ever thought that during transportation, the flexibility of the product in that truck or trained or wherever it's going, there has to be a certain amount of flexibility. It has to be. Well, yep. again, I, I never knew that. Yep. That's yep. true. You, you, you would think that you could like, you know, glue that stuff together or lock it down in some sort of a cage and it would be able to... to Henceforth, why there has to be more plastic used in that. It, it has to be, but back to your question about virgin plastic. Yeah. Right, and the recyclability of that. Well, in machine applications, in those you know consumer goods companies that yeah. are put, having a ton of throughput, the higher performing materials are thinner, therefore using less plastic. And in order for them to be that higher performing, you can't introduce recycled content. So it has into to be them. virgin plastic. Actually, has a stronger um, works better. Or it works better. Yep. All right. All right. Now we kind of got off a little bit because we talked about what Nestle was. Pre-COVID-19. Sure. Sure. Okay, now what's happened? What's the change now? This is this was an... I did not have any idea. And I think people who listen to this podcast are going to be blown away about the change. Pre-COVID-19, post-COVID-19. Right. On, on, from like a nest. Go, go ahead. So the example would be... So using an example of a what, what a, a major company like that would call something that was more sustainable. Just to set the baseline, right? Okay. So more sustainable would be the elimination of plastic. So let's say some food product that needed some sort of moisture barrier that traditionally was packaged in plastic. Let's okay. say frozen food, whether okay. it's French fries sure. or whatever. Okay. So now a more sustainable option would be craft paper with a poly lining, okay? Something like that. So then that would be a more sustainable option or to take it to something that's super familiar, coffee. Right? right, you go to Starbucks, you get your coffee, you use your own personal cup. You get like a ten percent, you know, a, a dime discount for bringing your own personal cup. Well, now during COVID, you can't use reusable cups anymore Why? because of the contamination. The potential, okay, the potential of contamination taken who might be surface contamination, not knowing whether or not. You know, I mean, the CDC has changed their guidelines a few times on this, and I don't know if anybody really knows, but the reality is, is now single-use cups are safer in this environment because they're transmitted from in the Starbucks to you and then get thrown away. Of course, we're or assuming the Starbucks worker is not, contam is not uh, positive for COVID-19, but yeah. So what well, other products? What other so things? another one would be uh, states that have banned, and this isn't necessarily a packaging-related thing, but the principle behind it is states that have banned plastic grocery bags right. have unbanned plastic grocery bags because 
where previously they would be encouraging you to use a, a reusable grocery bag that sure. was yours. Right. They don't want you bringing that into the store right now. So now we've so they don't want to introduce band. again reintroducing that contaminant, which is a huge, huge, you know, this pandemic. So now we're trying to. So we're kind of going. So where does it play out though, Jeremy? So so these companies now are, are eliminating. You said something on straws as well. Well, straws. Well, straws. For example, you you know you've got you've got metal straws right. or stainless reusable, steel, straw, stainless steel straw. Yeah. You know, and you've got a, a sanitation concern. Right. right. And so which one? And I'm not answering this, but I'm saying companies are wrestling with the idea of if there's sterility concerns, single use. Right now, tr tends to be the safer choice, right? So you've got this this nexus of this idea between what is sustainable, what is recyclable, and reducing the overall amount of plastics use. But but in this conversation, it always comes back to: Are we making the wise choice, right? What what's the trade-off here? And in COVID, you've got trade-off of safety versus what that material is. But the fundamental reality is, is that anytime we're talking about sustainability, and this is, you know, this is your backyard playing in the recycling component of it, is not every product that seems sustainable from a packaging perspective right. is either economical or is truly recyclable. And even if it is, we're not necessarily executing on that in the way that we should be. That's right. Correct. You know, so, I mean, we talked about bread bags. You know, okay, if that's a good time to talk yeah, about yeah, the bread absolutely. bags. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. So we talked about bread bags in terms of that trade-offs. So, and again, these are oversimplifications, but they prove a point that, that when we make these decisions as consumers, packaging companies, and manufacturers, there's a lot of different com complex questions that have to be asked. So bread. We're in, you know, there's been a, they, there's been a rise in uh, a movement towards what I would call healthy eating right? Eating, sure. eating healthier. Well, bread that is healthier for you has a shorter shelf life than bread that has a lot of preservatives in it. I ah, like the Wonder Bread. Exactly. Oh, like the I white like Wonder Bread. bread. Peanut I butter and jellies on Wonder Bread. It's classic. Bread. Classic. <laughs> classic. Okay. I, <laughs> exactly. Okay. But that Wonder Bread is in a single bag. Right. Well, something that needs to be more shelf stable needs to have a plastic packaging material on it that preserves the oxygen transmission rate such that it preserves the bread for a longer period of time plus that single that single bread bag right right so in that in that situation you're not going to get away from you're not going to get away from using plastic ne necessarily without compromising shelf shelf life. but it's like a paper bag too paper you know you go to these bakeries they have like a paper plastic mix type bag well how would that impact you recycling well ones? it's just contamination when you you, you cross contaminate the product yep it's not really it's not economically recyclable i'll give you an example because it's harder to sort okay amazon ships a lot of product cardboard box okay fantastic yep you know i i, I point to you know so you can take that that cardboard box it's and water-activated tape, not to interrupt, but but that is a corrugate craft paper tape that's, right. that's got their label on it. So that's more sustainable, right? Right. So the beauty of that is is it's really recyclable. But wait, it's heavier. So now they've got, well, wait a minute. A, a cardboard box doesn't fit in a mailbox very well. Sure. But the new packaging that has the paper but with the bubble wrap on the inside? Yes. 
fits in mailboxes because you, you know if you buy just a small product and you can bend it and put it in mailbox. Sure. That product isn't very recyclable because you can't peel the paper away from the the bubble wrap that's inside. Economically, oh, it, it it can be done, but the economics of it are just dramatically impossible. Sure. So. So then that goes back to the 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 e-commerce world with Amazon with regard to to pure bubble wrap. You know, so they've got packages now that are that are one hundred percent plastic. Right. With the bubble wrap built into it, right? They've got a machine that basically sizes it correctly for the product. But the question to you would be, is that is that easier to recycle or do you have to be sure of what the components are? If it's pure polyethylene, is it more recyclable? Yes, in absolutely. That so the purer the product, the less contamination is always okay. more recyclable. Okay. You know, cardboard, like I've said, it has like seven lines. You know, it's funny. You live here in Moscow, Idaho. I, I, kind of shifting gears because it. I did a po- you know, I, back to a podcast, and we did a commercial for the Super Bowl about. In fact, you oh, were the, the pizza, referee. The pizza box. The pizza the box. Pizza box. The yeah. pizza box. Pizza box cleaned out of the plastic. Uh, you know, some companies use a little plastic riser so the yes. top of the pizza box doesn't touch the uh, hot cheese and or have a grease liner. And you take out the food content and those plastics or in the grease liner in there. You throw that out. That Pratt Industries, West Rock, which make a lot of the pizza boxes, sure. they're going to take it and recycle it all day long. See, see, when we but here, here in Moscow, Idaho, that's not the case. If oh, is you, it Moscow, Moscow, Moscow. Uh, okay, all right. Yeah, potato, Gon- potato. Gonzaga, right. Gonzaga. Okay. When when you if you put a pizza box at all, so a guy will the recycling truck will come down the street. And you can watch them do this. You lift up the lid, and if there's a pizza box in there, they don't look inside the pizza box to see if everything's been taken out. They just see a pizza box, close that lid, put a tag on it, and they don't take any of your recycling. Okay. You were in the commercial, which was seen, by the way, over 350,000 views of this commercial. That's incredible. And, and it actually helped the paper, the, the, the industry, you know, but yet... We still don't see it. You don't see a, you don't see a pizza commercial from Domino's, Papa John's, Pizza Hut, you name it. Not one of them ever talk about their pizza that comes in that box is recyclable. And there's why this, is that? I, you tell me. That's crazy. I, I think I think that's their responsibility. Especially is when we as consumers would like to recycle that. You put it in the corrugate, you know, recycle bin, and and it gets rejected. What do you do with that then? Well, now I just throw it away. Yeah, well, when in doubt, throw it out. Well, there it goes. Where's it end up? Landfilled. Okay, so here we are in Moscow, Idaho. Yes. We made the commercial here in Moscow. Right. And yet they still won't take the pizza box. Right. They won't. I don't know. Come we on, need to Jeremy, get on this. This is on you. On I know. We need, to, we need to get on this. <laughs> we need to get but on this. But it's fascinating. Again, food packaging. You know, food packaging comes from, from, from the shelves to what you... You know, uh, you know, Uber Eats, they're delivering food pack, you know, f- from McDonald's. You were telling me something about McDonald's and what they want. Um, so this is driven by, so this is comp- country specific. Okay. Where Saudi Arabia is in the process of requiring, drafting legislation to require that all stretch wrap that brings products into the country is biodegradable. And, and so... 
McDonald's in particular has a significant interest in ensuring that, of course, if that's what's going to get their French fries mm -hmm. into Saudi Arabia, they, they have a high motivation to do this. The, the problem is, is that from the manufacturing side of things and the consumer cost, A, there is not a single manufacturer of stretch wrap today in North America that is producing biodegradable stretch wrap that is that fits the qualifications of European standards for biodegradability. Do the, or is it made anywhere in the world? It, there are companies that are calling it biodegradable, yes. But this goes back to our discussion of whether it truly is or not. A, the cost is exorbitantly higher. The amount of plastic or the thickness of the plastic that's used has to increase significantly more because weight. more weight because more you cost. have to put an element into it that makes it biodegradable. So when you do that, you either have to thicken up the film to, to maintain performance or you have to have less performance and use more of it, right? So there's yeah. a trade-off there. And then there's the, the entire question of whether that additive really is biodegrading the product it's really just breaking it down into smaller pieces. How about the carbon footprint to produce that plastic? Absolutely. Is because it more? When you're I wouldn't be the expert to speak on that, okay. but the reality is that the energy costs go up because not only are you using more plastic because you have to increase the thickness of the plastic, but now you've got an additional additive that goes into that. Um, I don't know about the carbon footprint piece, but, but the reality more, is... If you're using more energy to make something, usually your carbon footprint the, is going to be going up, the, just from a logical standpoint. The flip side of that, though, is that the more effective use is to actually utilize a higher performing material appropriately, and that drives your plastics usage down significantly. So that whole oversimplified conversation of whether do we want a thicker material that biodegrades... Or do we want a virgin material that is 40% less of, you know, 40% less by made volume. made from recyclable material. Right, made from recyclable material. You know, this is, um, you know, I, I, I love how this ties in, this, this food packaging, to the recycling industry. And, and people are going to have to start. There needs to be more education. There's more. The public needs to be more educated, you know, about this. You know, I have a friend... You know, this is interesting, plastic, paper, you know, different uses. He's a large table grape producer, and we're not from in Bakersfield, California, okay. from the little towns, Arvin, Edison, uh, Bakersfield, Delano, McFarland, and North. We're huge table grape. You mean like those awesome cotton candy grapes that, yes. you know, my kids just eat yes. in like 30 seconds? Okay, so when you go to the store, what you don't see, today when you go to the store... They're in the plastic Ziploc and they have the color, you know, where they come from, the name on them and what the vent, you know, not the vendor, sure. but the, the producer of it. Well, Costco, you know, you, you applaud them, but here's the difficult part, are telling the, the grape growers, you can no longer use that plastic Ziploc bag that's in, you know, that comes in a beautiful cardboard box. Sure. And which is 100% recyclable. And, just beautiful. And plastic Ziploc or like that PET clamshell thing. Yeah, that's a, that's a different that's, thing. That's, okay. that, that, they, they don't do grapes and clamshells. You do your berries, your, your blueberries, your raspberries, boy, you know. Got it. You pick up the bag, yeah, you got a nice little package. You're yep. not going to buy too much. You didn't know how many bundles to get to put in the plastic bag. Because remember, grapes used to be, at the store, used to be non-packaged. You had to pick them up. 
put them in the bag, and then take them home. Yes. So now they had an easy grab and go. They could sell a lot more of that. Yep. Okay. Now they wanted to eliminate that plastic bag and the cost of, produ- of finding a paper bag now, because they say, but that it can, it's just, that will be, you know, that you don't pick up from the cold storage once you finally get to the store that'll fall apart because of all the moisture. Sure. So now you're having to use a poly liner. So now it's now back it's again. It's not mi- really that you want to call it paper, but is it really recyclable? It's driving the cost up for the great person. Well, see, and that's, and that's a challenge because depending on what food item it is, this idea back to what Nestle said, again, it's well-intentioned, right? It's a sure. great goal. That's what we should be doing. But the challenge of eliminating those complex materials, well, sometimes those complex materials preserve shelf life. They preserve moisture from degrading that primary package. Well, and grapes are full of moisture. Yeah, absolutely. So, and you it's, know. it's, you know, there's all kinds of examples of that where you have a shelf-stable product like granola, right? Granola in a certain polyethylene pouch is shelf-stable for a very long time. Well, depending on how you eat granola, that's kind of important. Well, you know, the food waste component, not to go down this rabbit trail too far, (laughs) but if you you change the component of that that pouch to have a more recyclable, granola right. and maybe you put on there you know the label that says you know please recycle me or or education components to help people recycle that stuff um, now that's less shelf stable your granola goes bad you throw the granola away and now you're wasting food you know that, that's a whole nother that's a whole nother element of that. yeah it's all part of uh, what a tremendous subject to talk about and I'm just really glad you know Jeremy we've had some time to talk about now I know something about you. You love coaching. I do love coaching. Oh, man. That's if, true. If I could quit my day job, I'd, I'd be a high school football coach. Football? I, I, I've coached, ba- uh, not high school, I've coached high school football. I've coached junior high um, basketball for my daughter okay. and my son. Okay. And uh, elementary school, and I've also coached baseball, which is your favorite? Baseball. For okay, sure. so how many pizza parties have you had at the end of the season or in the games? <laughs> I want to go back to this, huh, Dad? I love it. Hammer it home. Coach? Hammer it home. Yeah. Absolutely. A but, lot. So then how many sodas? Are you buying more sodas now? Or Oh, how about this? Water. Water. But you know there's that Capri fruit punch style thing that looks like it's in a foil package? Oh, yeah. You know, a lot of moms who are the, you know, the, 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 uh, team moms or this parent has this game. They bring those Capri packages and it looks like it's, it's not recyclable. Not recyclable at all. No, it's no. just too contaminated with so many different products. Yep. Too many layers. Yeah. Too many different things. Yeah, Absolutely. It's not foil. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. So coach, you got to make sure. No Capri team, Suns. Yeah. <laughs> no team, Capri Suns. Team mom, team dad, whoever's bringing the snacks after the game or buying it. Hey. Well, now that nobody's doing that because we can't share food like that, right? We're all bringing oh. our own water bottles and we're not sharing those types of things. Are you even being able to play sports up here right now? We are right now. Actually, we had six baseball games last weekend, eight the week before. Fantastic. So I'm the same as you. If I could, if I could quit my day job and make, you know, make money coaching baseball, I definitely would do it. I, there, there's something about coaching that... that that I love and, 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 and being with the kids. But see, you know, it's funny how this comes full circle because how many times did you, the, the pizza would come in and we can't do the pizza? Or now you can't have a box full of cookies because you can't, the, the contamination. Our world is dramatically changing. So 
big Back time. Back to food pot packaging. Yes. Five years from now, how dram- it's going to be dramatically different, isn't it? Yes, I think so. I think I don't think we're going to get away from plastics use. Who has know? to change more, the consumer or the manufacturer? The consumer. I, I think the consumer does because because there's so many products right now that are recyclable, right? I mean, you said it. As long as it's virgin plastic, and as long as it is not multi-layer to the point where it can't be economically sorted, mm-hmm. right? Then, then a lot of that stuff we already do is, is recyclable. But the reason that the, the manufacturers want to eliminate that plastics usage is because of that disconnect between what the consumer is doing, throwing it in the ocean, right? Mm-hmm. And what they're putting into it. So they're trying to figure out how do we, how do we, how are we responsible sustainably recycling, et cetera, regardless of what the consumer does. All right. Well, I, I want to make sure I, I say something here because, you know, when China closed its market to plastics in, in Indonesia and Malaysia and India, a lot of them closed their markets for recycled plastic out of North America. Buying it. Yeah, right. buying it. There's been a lot of investment in the U.S. Um, in taking plastics and creating pellets for, you know, hey, look, our sunglasses. This sure. is a plastic. It's Matching like, sunglasses. A little different. Your, yours is matte, mine's shiny. Yeah. I see, is your car matte gray or something like that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, point is, is there is, you know, uh, necessity is the mother of invention. And, you know, there's a lot of innovation of taking, you know, post-consumer goods, plastics, yep. and, and making it into So it's just not going to be able to go into food packaging. Correct. But it's going to be able to go into other products from bumpers to cars. Who knows what it is? Well, it would stick with me on this example, right? I mean, that whole closed loop piece. So one of the things, you know, we talked earlier about the ability to eliminate and make what you already buy more efficient. That's a huge financial gain. It's sustainable. But then let's say it's a necessary evil. You've got to stretch wrap your beer mm-hmm. and, and that's got to be done for transport safety. Well, you know, Trex, for example... Is, yeah, Trex. Tell us a little bit about Trex. I didn't even get to mention that because this is a very important. Uh, it is. They have a closed loop. What you call it? A closed loop. Uh, closed loop recycling program. Tell so, us a little so bit. So, for this example, is important. Of, it's very important. So when you so we sell a, a plastic item to a manufacturer, Trex will provide the baler to that manufacturer, which in turn all of that plastic that gets used gets put in the baler, and then they'll they'll transport that back and they'll make it into your decking. So all of that plastic that there, that is being used is going right into another product. And there's so, so that's Trex a growing makes market. Decking, are they making furniture out of plastic? Good? I don't know if they are, but there well, are about, people there, doing there's, there's a lot of furniture. furniture, roofing materials. How about window? Uh, you know, the vinyl or what? Absolutely, yeah. Anything that anything that is, I've even heard recently seen that they're starting to make engineered lumber,s which is a composite of like wood shavings and post-consumer recycled content plastic and pressing that into two by fours, two by fours, roofing materials, things like that. That, that is a, you know, the, the efforts with regard to primary food packaging, I don't want to give people the wrong impression, right? That is an absolutely moral imperative and it's noble to do, right? It, It must be done. What we're, what you and I are talking about is, is the efficacy of certain types of, efforts in that regard, the the economics of it, right? But those closed loop systems, those eliminations of, of plastic by being more efficient, those are those are super smart 
absolutely black and white achievable you know things yeah. to do now again it's back to the consumer doesn't see how their general <clears throat> mills captain crunch with crunch berries arrives at the store palletized with plastic inside its cardboard sure. box and if you're separating out and tracks wants that that stretch film back to make their uh uh plastic decking you know these are things they aren't saying but this is where i when i said the mother you know necessity is the mother of invention you got a lot of people now go well how am i going to use plastics into products that are usable for consumers sure you know again it goes back you're going to be able to to do buy things that maybe have a longer life you know a plastic deck you don't have you know wood is great but you know you've got to maintain that you got to yes. you got to sand it and and, and and varnish it and do all these things for it to last and then Absolutely. if you're in the close to the sea you know plastic lasts longer than you know the corrosion factor so, absolutely so the, you know it's a fascinating the, this whole loop it, because it's a different we have touched on something that most people have not ever thought about is all the recycling component to food packaging i want to touch on one last thing yes sir the captain crunch with crunch berry box it's yes like it's a cardboard box but yep. it has that plastic liner yes and so when it gets in the waste stream or it gets into the blue bin, it's combined. Hard. You combine, you know, there's cost of pulling out. Will that plastic inside change? Is there, is there there's something that might be easy to recycle where, where the box and the insert where the cereal is actually at could be 100% recyclable. You don't have to know them pull it out, which saves money in the processing sure. of the recycling and the merch. Sure. I think the challenge is the ability to take, it's, it's that it goes back to, is it virgin? Are we okay with virgin, non-virgin plastic touching a food product like that, right? Because there are European companies that are making plastics that are up to 60% PCR, post-consumer recycled content, for the bundling films and things like that. Well, does the, does the uh, safety of the food chain allow us to use some of that stuff in a, in a package like that? Because right now you can buy cereal in just a bag, yes, right? Like Malta meal, right. you know, for example. Yeah. You can just go buy that and that's easier to recycle, right? Right. You know, there are, there are going to be people who are going to listen to this and want to shoot holes in what we're talking about, saying, oh, well, this is this. Well, that's, I'm not here to, 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 to and this podcast isn't to say we're definitive 100%. Either. There are people... This is where the discussion starts. Absolutely. And I want it to be a discussion starting point. How do we become better? And how do we educate? And how do we use products? I'm not putting down anybody and how things are being used. No. I Look, I'm just a regular. I'm in the recycling industry. I mean, I know more about recycling aluminum and, and iron and copper and stainless steel, what have you, but um, and, and cardboard. But, you know, the discussion, the education of me, the public, you, you know, you're still, we need to get that discussion rolling. Let's get the ball rolling. Let's work together to create better products that are better for the environment and for the longevity and, and sustainability for everything. Well, it's, it's asking the right questions, right? It's not just simply pasting a recyclable, sustainable, biodegradable label on something without actually knowing what it does and is that the right choice? You know, that closed loop, back to that idea, you know, it casts a pretty cool vision, right? Let's say you take a beer company, Molson Coors, for example, right. pick one, right? You got, you know, you got a, a singer singing a song on a, you know, on a Trex deck, sitting there sipping a Coors, right? How perfect is that? 
Coors wins because they're the ones whose plastic is in that deck. Right. Trex wins, right? Because, you know, they're, they've taken a product that is ultimately recyclable and made it something long lasting. Right. And the consumer gets to enjoy both ends of that, you know, the beer, the deck, everything, you know, Fantastic. it's kind of a perfect picture. This has been an amazing discussion, hugely educational for me. And I think people listen to it. So, but before I, next time I come back to Moscow, Moscow. Pizza boxes are going to be in the be allowed. We got to work on that. We got to we've got to get that. It's incumbent on you, Jeremy. We got to get that done. I know. We got to throw the flag on that big time. You know, my favorite part of the commercial though is the very end where the guy goes, "That was weird." (laughs) Super informative. Super informative. Uh, We use that. My (laughs) wife and I laugh all the time when somebody says, "Well, that was weird." That's super informative. Absolutely. We use that all the time. Jeremy, my friend, thank you for your my pleasure incredible knowledge of food packaging and what's going on in the world. And I know this dynamic changes. And post-COVID, I think when they find a vaccine and a cure for this thing, different things, you know, this is going to be ever, ever changing. The yep. evolution of food packaging will continue and continue. So The more we learn, yeah. Thank you for being on this. And that's it for another episode of Pile of Scrap. Good thank stuff. You. you bet. That is awesome, Good. brother. Did you get everything you wanted? Oh, beyond. This has been a Sierra International Machinery original audio series. Thanks for listening. Please share this podcast and make sure to subscribe.